Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Hey guys, welcome to Fountain City Church's weekend online message. Uh, As you can see, we've got quite a treat today. My dad's joining us to share the word. Um, And, you know, last week we talked about Pentecost, but we're actually jumping back into uh, the Gospel of Mark and the series on who Jesus is and what he comes to preach. Uh, And so... We talked two weeks ago about parables and kind of the nature of parables, right? And um, for many of us, I know for me growing up, Dad, like whenever I read the parables, I kind of took them at face value. Um, But we talked two weeks ago about how Jesus is actually creating kind of a crisis in the way that we think and a confrontation Hmm. out of what we perceive to be true about life and God and himself. Um, And so for us, like today we're going to be talking about these parables on the kingdom of God. Um, why is this so important for Jesus to speak confrontationally to Jewish people who are like, this is their life, right? They, they have heard about the kingdom of God since they were kids. Mm-hmm. Why does Jesus come and try to introduce parables in order to like adjust their way of seeing? Well, first, he, he told the parables really to those who were close in, yeah. those who were already listening. He was encouraging them to listen more, okay. to listen more deeply. Uh, when he told them, he was challenging them in a way to seek him, to, to seek the kingdom in a way that they hadn't conceived of before. Because yeah. coming into uh, Israel or coming into Jerusalem and proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was saying something that was like old music to them. Right. They had heard it before. They knew what it was supposed to look like, they thought. Mm-hmm. And so... He uses parables to open up more truth to them, okay. to, to clarify things. Yeah. And so are there any like seminal thoughts that Jesus shares about the kingdom of God uh, that will help us to frame what we're reading in the parables today? Are there any seminal? That's just a little, little dictionary <laughs> word for you today. I just, I'd like to expand your vocabulary. Are there any big thoughts that Jesus gives us about the kingdom of God? <laughs> This is going to be fun. Uh, are there any thoughts? It's supposed that, to be fun. It's would, good. It's good. Are there any thoughts that would be helpful for us if we're going to really understand it? Like, what is it that Jesus is trying to get across? Well, uh, of course, in the parables, he says a lot of things. Today, we're going to talk about uh, a little more of what the kingdom is like. Mm-hmm. He comes into Mark, and he just, it's like a blitzkrieg. You know, I, I was i was thinking uh in reading Mark, it reminded me of the, uh, I guess it's the Return of the King yeah. uh, show where, a movie where these ghost soldiers yep. get off these ships. You remember that? Oh, yeah. And they are arrayed against this huge army of all these different creatures. And when they get off the ship, they start moving through and they just clear a huge path. Yep. Okay. And when I listen or read the book of Mark, those opening chapters, it's like Jesus is unleash, unleashing this army in the world. Right. You know? And, and, and it begins a forward movement. And in verse 15, he says, you know, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe yeah. the good news. And he sets about then to show what the 
good news is and what the kingdom of God is like. Yeah. He does that by healing people, by casting out spirits, by calling disciples, by clarifying who really belongs in the kingdom of God, what it's like. Yeah. And of course, opposition comes. And when it comes, they accuse him of being on the other side. And Jesus says, frankly, I can't be. That's, that's illogical that I could be a part of Satan's domain when I am casting out spirits. But then he says to them that uh, he has come not to participate with Satan, of course, but to bind up the strong man. Right. So when Jesus says that, he is saying the kingdom of God is all about binding up the strong man who has controlled the kingdoms of the world mm -hmm. and allowing something to be loosed, yeah. unleashed, that army that will go out. So it's real exciting to see yeah. that developed in the book of Mark. So, so the kingdom of God, Jesus' presentation is that this thing is coming in contrast to everything like that looks devastating in culture and in creation, everything since the fall, right? It's, it's Absolutely. this invitation for us to see this new thing that God's doing. Yeah. You know, uh, God had established his kingdom on earth in Israel, mm -hmm. Jerusalem, Mount Zion. It was all about God's rule yeah. from that place. Uh, and then they lost something right? or they lost a lot. Jesus comes back and he begins to sow back into Israel the kingdom of God. Hmm. He sows it into them so that they will once again understand what this kingdom is really. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thought. Beautiful. So, so as we read through this, um, um, my dad's going to take the lion's share of the teaching and we're going to interact through this. But um, I want you to grab a hold of that as kind of the context for this conversation, um, that the kingdom of God comes in contrast to the culture of the world and the devastation of the enemy in the earth. Uh, and as Jesus is declaring, even in these parables, he's actually call, calling us to have like a crisis in the way that we see what he's doing now in contrast to the way that the world works. That we're not supposed to just fit into the world system, but that he has a completely different way for us to live. Yeah, you know, is the repentance is uh, repentance uh, and turning away from our thoughts, our preconceived notions yeah. of what it's going to look like. I mean, all of Christianity... Uh, tends to say to me, it, I'm not what you thought. I, you know, mm. the kingdom doesn't come with pomp and circumstance. Right. You know, it comes with a baby in a manger. Yeah. And it hangs on the cross. Yeah. You know, it's not about vengeance. It's not about fighting wars. It's about God drawing near to man. All of those things seem foreign when you talk about a kingdom. Right. So for Israel, who was under the boot of Rome... They were looking for deliverance and kingdom come to them meant power right. and authority to cast off all earthly restraint. Right. Burning so yeah, he was, right. he was challenging their notions of what it would look like, but he was also challenging their notions uh, about their hearts, hmm. about what the kingdom coming into their lives would really look like, okay? Yeah. A real transformation of heart. So. Yeah, I think he was, he was challenging all of those notions, all of those things. And uh, uh, the parables are used to help them understand yeah. what he's trying to say. As we lead into this, I think one of the things that I want 
to make sure that you're grabbing a hold of wherever you're at um, is the tendency of people to weaponize the scriptures for their own agenda. And when Jesus comes and is presenting what the kingdom of God is, um, you can tell he's not playing according to anybody else's rules or into anyone else's agendas. Like you can even get into Acts 1 where the disciples are like, look, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, are you going to give us power to stomp out the oppressors and to rule the earth? And Jesus says, you, you're still missing it. This is still about you having power to be my witnesses, you know, to the ends of the earth. And then the end will come. And so I think there's an invitation. And I think what I want all of you to grab a hold of as we're jumping into Mark 4 uh, and 26 is, is that this invitation um, to see things from the kingdom of God, as dad was saying, is, is an invitation for the kingdom of God to reform our hearts, to transform us from the inside out. And it's not about weaponizing it against other people for power, right? The ugliest kind of uh, religious stuff moves to political power and to um, utilizing it against people, to put people down. And the kingdom of God comes to bring people into connection, into right relationship to God. And so you want to jump to the scripture? Well, let me, let me just say first that yeah. when you use the word kingdom, mm. we, we kind of fall flat there. We, sure. we don't really understand that. The Jews understood it. Right. They had been uh, part of a kingdom, a great kingdom, under David and under Solomon, just a splendid kingdom. They had seen the rise of the Roman kingdom, okay, yeah. and the powerful forces there. And, of course, the history is replete with all of these different kingdoms. So they understood kingdom as having a king in their time, having a land, and then having citizens. Mm -hmm. Those three, three things were always involved in the kingdom. When we talk about kingdom today, we really have a very poor concept. Sure. And sometimes just kind of draw a blank when somebody says the kingdom. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even sound like something that we should be involved in sometimes. It sounds foreign, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. When I think of kingdom, I think of some European country far yeah. off usually. Yeah. You know? Castles on hills. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had no notion of it really uh, speaking to me in my everyday life. Right. So. Even for me, for the Jews at that time, and for me today, the kingdom uh, has to come, and it has to come with uh, clarity and power for me to really receive it. Mm -hmm. And I think these parables are trying to clarify. He has been sowing. Yeah. The first four chapters, uh, or first three chapters of Mark, he's sowing the kingdom. Right. He goes in and begins to explain what this, uh, what this sowing process looks like. Yeah. Okay, I started to say snowing process. What <laughs> the slowing process. What yeah. this uh, sowing process <laughs> looks like. And as he explains that, they begin to understand better. Yeah. But I will tell you, as a, a person who served the Lord for a long time, I'm still learning about the kingdom. Right. And, and I'm still understanding that uh, there are a lot of things that I thought that really are not mm. to be as it relates to the kingdom of God. So let's talk about uh, okay. these two passages. All right. You may read them in total? Yeah. Go okay. ahead and read. So this is uh, turning your Bibles. We're at Mark 4, and we're going to read the parable of the growing seed as it's kind of labeled in your scriptures and the parable of the mustard seed. If you're new to the scriptures... 
um, chapters, verses, and even these headings, they were added later just for you to kind of grasp where things were. Uh, it's not in the original, okay? So all the breaks and all those things were not in the original text. And that may be helpful. Um, so it says in verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Verse 30, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. And with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. And he didn't say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So, so why does Mark accent these parables? What do they tell us about what Jesus is declaring about the kingdom? Well, you know, he, he has gone out and as I said, he sowed the kingdom. He sowed the seed of the kingdom into Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when he healed a person, uh, some people wouldn't relate that to the kingdom, but it was an activity that brought the kingdom of God near. Right. It allowed people to see God in action and to understand him better. So he's sowing this seed and he says, first of all, this seed grows automatically. Yeah. It has its own strength. It has its own uh, vitality, virility. It will grow on its own, it will grow automatically. It's not dependent on you mm. as much as it is dependent on the power of God. Yeah. You know, when I was uh, a young pastor and uh, growing up in the church, we always talked about building the kingdom of God. I'm gonna go out and build the kingdom of God. Let's go build the kingdom of God. Yeah. He's great at building the kingdom. We haven't built anything. Hmm. It's God's building. Right. Now we participated. And our main participation points are to believe mm. that and receive that kingdom, okay? We're to believe it. We're to believe that God's kingdom has come. But as far as building it, mm -hmm. man, I think we've probably done poor jobs at building the kingdom of God. Now, we built some good churches, sure. but they're not always synonymous with the church. Yeah. Well, what I like about it is in this passage, He's talking about kind of the hiddenness of the work of God. It's hidden in that seed mm. and it grows on its own. Yeah. It grows spontaneously. You can't make it grow, as I said. It grows invisibly. Uh, you can't see it grow. You know, uh, down south here, we, we grow a lot of zucchini, squash, and cucumbers. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing thing to watch them grow. In fact, because they grew so quickly, at times I wondered, I wonder if you can see it grow. I wonder if you can see a zucchini because you can find one on a vine that's this big in the morning yeah. and the next day it looks like it's this big, yeah. you know? Well, how does that happen and you can't see it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think cucumbers are demonic, so I don't think yeah. this is a... Well, yeah, you don't I mean, like them. Zucchinis. But, okay, angelic. but squash or something like that that grows. <laughs> sure. It grows before us. And 
you would imagine that you could see it because all of a sudden, here's yeah. this monster laying out in your garden, right? Yeah. But you can't see it. It doesn't come to the visible eye, but it's happening. God is working. Yeah. And this parable, Jesus is saying, all of this that I've been doing, this God at work. Mm. God's working. And you might not understand how the dots are connected, yeah. how the demonic being free, how the person being healed, how me calling my disciples, how me clarifying who is the family of God. You don't see how these things work together, but I assure you, God's at work. Yeah. And he's going to grow the kingdom of God. Yeah. In fact, he says, it will grow in stages. You'll see the stalk, you'll see the, you know. Yeah. And he, he shows the development of that and leads us all to the inevitable consequence of that, which is the harvest. Yeah. And Jesus is saying that his kingdom will come on this earth and he is inviting people to participate in it. Right. We don't have to do it primarily. He does it. It's in the seed. The secret's in the seed. But if we will allow him to sow those seeds in our life, wonderful things can happen. Hmm. You know, I, I think sometimes I, I used to imagine that the best thing you could do uh, to receive the blessings of the kingdom were to present yourself to God, were to be in the vicinity to allow the seed of God to be sown. And I know that sometimes in worship, I received some wonderful things from God, and I didn't realize the import of them until later, right. you know? Yeah. And then I said, wow, that was God at work in me, yeah. you know? So that passage deals with that part of God that is working mm. in according to His strength and His power. But it also talks about uh, the ordinary work of God. And, mm. and I like that I, as a pastor. It seemed that I went from Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday, Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday. Yeah. And sometimes I really did not appreciate the importance of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I, I did not understand God's working during those times. Yeah. Nor did I understand that um, God could speak to you while you're cutting the grass or while you're doing chores around the house or while you're just sitting with one of your grandchildren and yeah. reading with them, you yeah. know, that all of those moments are moments that God can capture and place in his kingdom, yeah. you know, for his glory. Well, there's like even teachings of the daily office, right? Yeah. Who was that? Um, his name's slipping my mind right now. Ignatius. Was it Ignatius? I don't Loyola? know, but let's, put, let's say him. <laughs> it wasn't Ignatius, I'm pretty sure. But th that idea of, I think he was a dishwasher, and he was just saying. Oh, Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence, thank you. Um, and he was talking about, you know, the presence of God, practicing the presence no matter where you're at. I think of all of our young families, you know, and, and Jesus. He, he's talking to a bunch of people who highlighted special moments and ceremony, right? Sabbath, cleansings, washings, and he's telling them that the kingdom of God is, uh, you know, this is offensive, right? Like you can't do anything through your special garments and through your prayers in the street and through um, your shows and celebrations of your holiness. He's saying God's actually active among you regardless of how good you think you are, yeah. right? And that's the offense. I mean, the, this, is, um, this is an invitation into the, the, the divine normal. Right. And, uh, 
he, he makes it very much possible uh, to enter into the daily activities, our lifestyles, mm. uh, with his power and his life. It doesn't have to come with pomp and power. Yeah. You know? Sometimes it's the uh, secret place activities that we carry on. But many times it's when we are visited unaware by agents of God yeah. to, to lead us deeper into his kingdom. It's exciting to, to see that he can function mm. in all of these areas. It's not confined. The kingdom is not confined in the four-wall function of the church. Yeah. You know, and, and you guys are doing a good job at that. You're, you're getting it outside of the walls of the church. You know, I, uh, I look around and it's not uh, it's not really decorated very well. It's, <laughs> it's you got floors that have been stripped and walls that are playing. You know, it's rough. It's, it's strategic. Rough. It's strategic. But, <laughs> but maybe that's your genius, you know, because yes. you, you don't you're not being so comfortable in the building. That's true that you can't get out into the community, you yeah. know, yeah. And, uh, and see the kingdom of God working in those ways. The kingdom of God is, is always coming. It's always mm. pressing in on the presence. It's ever big with possibility, and it invites immediate action. Mm -hmm. Those things about the kingdom are, are, are very real, and, and Israel just like the church today maybe, was interested in, that, in, in those institutions that they were very familiar with, right. you know, that had a sense of power about them and stability. And, uh, and, and they took this message hard yeah. because he was scattering seed, yeah. you yeah. know? And, 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 and we might be like them and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The seed goes over here. Yeah. This is where it goes. Right. And he's out there just throwing it, yep. you know? Yeah. And it'll come up here. It'll come up there. It'll come up everywhere. And, and we've got no control over it. Yeah. So, and that's, that's a neat parable. Yeah. Okay. If you really think about it, that, that God puts the power, he puts life in that seed mm -hmm. and he throws it out and it has the ability on its own to grow. Yeah. I like that because as Christians, sometimes we have to feel like we're in control mm. or we feel responsible for everything. Yeah. How about this? God's seed sown in that heart. We're just going to believe God yeah. that God's seed will work. Yeah. It'll work in you. You know, uh, one time I had a... Uh, a service on Friday nights at the jail. This yeah. was before you were born, probably. Okay. Yeah. And I would go to the jail, the county jail, every Friday night. Mm -hmm. And I had these little uh, Bible study courses that I would take, and, and they were simply uh, made so that a person could open the Bible and then fill in the blanks. Yeah. And it, they would get it back to me. We would send it off, get it graded, and give them back this... Uh, uh, report and, uh, and and the guys were loving it, you know. And uh, so I, I would go every Friday night and I'd preach. And one Friday night, I, uh, I had given them a Bible. And uh, I preached this message. And at the end of it, a little guy came up to me. And he says, uh, Preacher, uh, could you write that prayer 
in the back of my Bible. I said, sure. I said, you mean the prayer we just prayed? Yes, sir. The one you prayed at the end, which was what we would call the prayer of salvation, a commitment to Christ, okay? Yeah. yeah. So I wrote it. His name was Willie. His first name was Willie. And uh, I wrote that prayer in the back of the Bible and signed my name. You know, I uh, didn't think about it. It was one of those seeds. Yeah. You know? And I was, at, in those times, slinging them all over the place, okay, <laughs> in every way. And so several years later, I received a letter in the mail, and it was from Willie. And it was marked uh, Central Correction Institute hmm. in Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, he was there. He had gotten in really big trouble. But he told me in the letter, he said, you know that prayer you wrote for me? I said, yeah. Well, to myself, you know, as yeah. I was reading it. He said, I finally read that prayer and prayed it. And Jesus came into my heart. And I'm writing to tell you, say thank you, because he has changed my life. And I am now a Bible study leader. And I want to work for the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he sends me this letter. I still have it. Yeah. Got it in my drawer now at home. And I pull it out every once in a while because I had no idea. Yeah. That seed, yeah. <laughs> you know, how it worked. Yeah. Willie went from the county correction to the state penitentiary. Mm. And he was in the worst part of it. Yeah. When God saved him. Man. So when I think of this passage, mm. <laughs> that parable, sow the seed yeah. and understand that God is going to work in that seed and through that seed. Yeah. But also, I don't want to go too long on this, but yeah. Yeah. the power of a person in ordinary life to do things that are transformative. You know, we've been uh, we've been watching the the protest, mm -hmm. and people have a right to protest. Mm -hmm. They've been hurt. There's grievous mistakes. Mm -hmm. But also, we've seen cases or situations where one person, through an act of love, mm -hmm. an act of kindness, an act that goes beyond the ordinary, yeah. does something that just wow. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and everybody's shouting one thing, but this one person who in a very ordinary, nondescript way mm -hmm. shows you what the kingdom of God is like, and all of a sudden it really yells loudly. You, yeah. Know? Yeah. you can hear it very clearly. Yeah. So this passage to me, this parable, opens up the possibilities of God coming and as he says in Luke 17, 20, the kingdom of God is something that cannot be observed. Mm. You can't see it coming. Yeah. You know? Well, it's not food and drink, right? Isn't that what uh, it says? You think it's here. You think it's there. But the kingdom of God is coming, and you're unaware of it. Mm. So um, hold out the possibility yeah. that even if you can't see it, yeah. God's working. That's good. God's working. That's good. All right, you want to move on? Yeah. Okay, so we, we understand that and this. I mean, it's, and for those of you who are just like, you're sitting in your living room right now, 
the fact that God is working. I know for, for many of us, there's whole seasons where I just felt like, God, where are you? And you look back in retrospect and you see, man, his fingerprints all over the place. But oftentimes in the moment, you just can't tell, you know. Um, but then he starts talking about the mustard seed. Yeah. And so he's not just talking about this, this seed that grows by itself, but he, out, he seems to almost be like describing the seed that he's just talked about, you know, like how this thing works and functions. Uh, yeah. And so let me, let me read back through it real quick, just the first part. He says, um, he says, what shall we say the kingdom is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's just like this mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground, but when it's planted... It grows and it becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. What stands out to you in this? Like, why is Jesus saying this? Well, several things stand out. First of all, is the size of the seed. Yeah. You know, he picks this, this very tiny seed. And he says that in that very small seed, the, it, it's like the kingdom of God is contained in that small seed. Hmm. It starts out in this way that, uh, well, you know, the Bible says, despise not small beginnings. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it seems like the kingdom of God, when it's planted in our hearts and in our lives, it starts out so small. And probably for those who were listening, they were looking around and saying, well, this is a small revolution. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> this. Yeah. I mean, it's just us, Jesus. I mean, <laughs> there's about a dozen of us now, but we really don't know what's going on, and we don't really have any power here. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, we're fishermen, you know? We got one ex-tax collector, but he's broke now, and, and uh, we don't have the means for kingdom. Right. You know, he says, well, it's going to start small, mm. and, uh, uh, but... As it is very small, it will grow into something very large. It mm -hmm. has this promise in it of growth. He says, in fact, the leaves and the branches will grow so large that birds will be able to nest in them or light perch upon them. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So we're talking about a substantial plant. We don't understand exactly what that plant looks like you know, from what we understand mustard to be, but apparently it was a substantial plant. And he says, that is what the kingdom is like. So what's it like? It's about, it's like small beginnings. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like small beginnings. It begins in such a small, indistinct way that Nobody would dream that it could become something bigger and something better. Yeah. And, you know, the kingdom of God is, is God's dream for planet Earth. Hmm. It's God dreaming about what it should be, right. Scott McKnight says. And uh, I like that. I like that because I know what my dreams are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, though, my dreams fall short of God's dreams. Yeah. His is always bigger and better, okay? Yeah. And so when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he is talking about things that will start small but will grow large. And he's talking about people who will have the, the kingdom planted in their heart, mm -hmm. who will be taken out of the evil kingdom of Satan and placed in the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. and that, that will grow. That will grow so much so that uh, 
the, the foliage of these trees, of these mustard plants, will provide housing for creatures or things outside of their its realm itself, okay? Right. I, I think the birds take the message out a little bit further and says, you know what, the kingdom of God, just, it's not just going to affect those people that are close in, right. but it's going to affect a lot of people who are way out, yeah. you know, far out, far removed yeah. from where they should be. Yeah, so not just the farmer who's sowing it, but... The, the creatures, the people who pass by, like this, this thing is affecting everything else. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, and I think he's pushing us at this point. You, you talked about the, the challenges or the confrontation through the parables. Yeah. I think he's pushing the church to see that maybe we have tried to tame the dreams of God. Mm. How so? That we have tried to control them or confined them in very narrow ways. Yeah. We haven't understood. And it's probably not that we intentionally uh, said, you know what, we're going to hold God down in these ways or hold the kingdom, if that was possible, that we're going to hold the kingdom of God hostage in this way. Right. I don't think people do that, but I think that unless our hearts are expanded, we fail to see the kingdom of God that God dreams of. Hmm. I think we always fall short of seeing it as it really is to be yeah. on this earth. The kingdom will grow by itself. It will grow powerfully and it will fill, literally fill this space with its presence. We don't see it in that expansive way. And that's a failure that we have. So, and I may be jumping ahead in what you're um, communicating now, but are there ways that you feel like we can glean in this season, in this moment? Because we're obviously in a pretty volatile season in our community and culture. How do you feel like, or what do you see in where uh, maybe the church or our culture or Christianity in general has confined okay. the kingdom. I, I think that always uh, one of the challenges that we have is defining who we are. Yeah, We're always trying to define who we are. I remember as a pastor, I used to spend as much time defining who I wasn't right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, as I was who I was or am. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was a challenging thing and it was, uh, I got tired of it. For the Jews, they they defined themselves by certain things right. that if you did, it seemed like you were in. Right. Okay. Uh, those things would be f the food laws. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't eat the unclean food. The Sabbath laws. Okay. Keep the Sabbath. Yeah. And circumcision. Those were the three main things. Yeah. And and they tended to define Judaism being a true Israelite. Right by these things. So if you okay. don't have these things or you're not practicing th these things, you're out. You're not part of. And that's why when you read the New Testament, the aftermath of Christ coming and establishing the kingdom, they're still talking about those things. Yeah. They're still talking about circumcision. They're still talking about uh, food laws. They're still talking about Sabbath days. Yeah. They're still talking about them and arguing about them. Yeah. And still trying to decide whether those things define 
the true church of God or being a true Israelite. So fast forward it to the evangelical church, which we tend to be considered part of, okay? Right. Um, and which that, that, that's a historical word, but it's also now been like leveraged to be just a political word. Yeah. And it's taken more of a political tone than yeah, just a historical. And, and, that, and that's sad because, you know, today you can't make statements about what you believe hardly without being classified. Sure. You know, sure. it's like, I believe in global warming. Now, right. I might be the only one in Columbus, Georgia, I don't know, uh, but <laughs> I believe in global warming. Sure. Okay. Now, I don't believe it as a political statement, though. Right. I believe it from historical and scientific fact, okay? Right. Same. All right? So, I hate it when, because I do tend in that way to talk about the environment and keeping that, that somebody would look at me and say, well, you're a true-hugging Democrat, you know? <laughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, and that's kind of the... Excuse me. Honestly, if, you, if, if you're a part of our church family, I hope that you're grabbing a hold of something. If you're not a part of our church family and you're trying to investigate, like, just what does it look like to follow Jesus? This is really important to us, is that in Christ, we actually fight to take labels off and make space for people to journey toward Jesus. And so every person who comes into our church, you, if you're just in our community, like, trying to figure it out, nobody comes in with all this stuff figured and we're not trying to label and dismiss and demonize that's a political thing that's political spirit you know or a religious spirit that says like you're in or you're out and when somebody makes a mistake we wash our hands and we flush you that that stuff's not jesus that's right that's and so, right and I, and I, and i hate that that's come to the church mm -hmm. i i despise the fact that we have become a warring camp and that we fight each other as much as we fight uh, the things that we should fight, which are Satan and his destructive power in the earth. Yeah. <coughs> so, in the evangelical church, uh, we have uh, narrowed our concept of the kingdom also. Right. Okay? And we don't frame it in that way, but it's how we define who we are and and it's how we say uh, or define who we're not, okay? Right. If I can say so it. So just that like way. the Jews had some definers. Ours, and yeah, and ours are, and, and don't let this freak you out, okay? Well, the political evangelicals, <coughs> right? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying the political evangelicals. Okay. I'm saying uh, the church at large. Oh, so, okay. I, uh, and, it, and it's a broad stroke, and I'm not trying to pin everybody, just like we just said. Yeah. I don't like to be called these things sure. because I believe in global warming, okay? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but in the evangelical church, the litmus test for being in are number one, and, and again, don't let this freak you out because I'm going to explain what I mean. Yeah. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. Okay? Yeah. Number two is uh, that we need to be anti-abortion. Right. Number three, we need to believe in family values, and that encompasses a whole big territory uh, uh, under the heading of sexuality. Okay. Right. So, uh, those aren't our the totality of our beliefs, but they certainly are, uh, and they are good. Sure. But they're not expansive enough. Right. Okay? Yeah. And, and what I hear the prophets, and that's just what I'm going to call them, because uh, 
grouping people in age groups yeah. is not cool to me. I'm 67. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm not going to say to younger people because right. uh, old men and young men have dreams and visions. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I'm just going to say that they aren't as expansive as God's dream for the world. Yeah, so so, okay. so we've actually diminished those into small categories, and God's trying to expand the camp yeah. and his, his kingdom in, the, in right. the church. Right, the growth of the kingdom has become managed by those who want, to, who want controlled growth. Right. Again, there's this thing about scattering the seed. Just think about who comes into your church. Mm. Who do you let in your church? That kind of crazy question. Um, I, uh, I've experienced that through the years where people want to somehow control the people that come in and how God's kingdom works. Yeah. But now we have these prophetic voices who proclaim that, you know, this is not big enough. Your kingdom is not big enough. And they're saying, we want to see a, more of a focus on the poor. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. They say, we, we want to hear about what it means to serve Christ in his kingdom and how that relates to us and our ministry, our care for the poor. They also want to talk about racial equality. Right. Then, and environmental issues. Right. Okay? Peace. Yeah. All of those issues have become more important as a generation and some of us who have been around a while said, we're not dreaming big enough. Yeah. Or we're not perceiving God's dreams as they really are. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, and we don't need to be afraid of that. It's like, oh, if we talk about that, then we're, we're getting outside of what God wants us to deal with. God just wants us to deal with the spiritual, the heart of man. And I will tell you, you can deal with both of those things. There is no imaginary line or yeah. there is no line between the social and the spiritual. Yeah, sacred and secular is how it's also said, oh, right? We, we've killed ourselves with that. Yeah. What we're saying is that somehow God only wants to deal in this secret little part of us. Right. And I've heard people say, I have this relationship with God and it's deep in my heart and it's something I don't talk about and it's something that is, is so deep that you can't see it or know it. Well, what is it then? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if it's real. You know, I want to say, come out, come out, whoever you are, you know, <laughs> let me see. But the, the reality is that we have begun to through the years, to separate. We're afraid of something called the social gospel. Hmm. But the gospel will always be spiritual and it will always be social. Right. Okay? We, yeah. we do not, we, we absolutely do not have a message that we can locate in the Bible that says that faith ought to be isolated in the heart. Right. You know, and it's something that can't affect how you live day to day yeah. and what life is to be like day to day. So if I can like frame that again in case it's just so I want to make sure people are grabbing this, that oftentimes we segregate our salvation experiences 
from living in a way that looks like love and justice for, for other people. And all the books of the prophets basically say, like put an equal mark in between that. If you're going to say that you're a child of God, then you will live equitably towards all people, right? And you will fight for the oppressed. You're going you're gonna to do these things. And we tend to put those in separate containers and say, no, 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 this, you know, don't, don't touch that. We just want to talk about salvation. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? <clears throat> oh, exactly. Okay. And I, I believe in the return of Jesus. I believe Jesus is going to come back. Yeah. To this earth. Yeah. You know? But I also believe that we don't need to wait until he comes back right. to deal with these problems. Yeah. I know a lot of good people who say, you know, I've accepted Christ, I'm living for Christ, and I'm going to go to heaven. And when God comes back, he's going to change all of this mess. Right. I don't want to wait, you know. I don't think we should wait. Yeah. Jesus said, pray this way. Your kingdom come, yeah. your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. He didn't say, wait till you get to heaven and I'm going to make everything cool again. Yeah. He's saying, pray today that this will happen on this earth. You know? And he's saying, whatever is good for heaven is good enough for earth. Yeah. You know? And to me, that's not wait till he comes and then he's going to rescue and try to fix all the mess. Yeah. I believe he's put us here as the body of Christ to help fix it now. Yeah. It's not social and spiritual. It's all one thing. It's all spiritual. Yeah. So God calls us to be active in the kingdom and have such an expansive view that we're not willing to see our black brother killed on the streets or poverty continue to be perpetrated yeah. or perpetuated, I should say, among these groups of people to the point that their children can't learn, mm-hmm. to the point that they struggle and do things wrong because they don't have bread to eat. Mm-hmm. That's not the kingdom of God. Right. So God is calling us to get out of that and to begin seeing the kingdom as very expansive, yeah. touching all of these areas. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Not just limiting to a few things that we can get down pat. I don't know if you've ever told God, but uh, there are times in my life where I've said, God, you know, every time I think I've arrived, you move the cheese or move the ball, you know, you, you move the goal. Did you say it move changes. the cheese? I did. I, that came from Jason Moore, I'm sorry, oh. uh, who stole like, the cheese. So, but, you know, somehow, God, I, I thought I arrived, but I'm, I'm not there yet. Yeah. And, and you're calling me for something more. Yeah. something deeper, mm-hmm. something better as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. Yeah. So uh, I, think, yeah, I think he's calling us to see God's dream, what God's dream is yeah. in this earth, what the kingdom of God is to really look like. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and so the gospel is contextual, and there is that prophetic word even for now, um, and I want to come to that and maybe push in a little bit, but you also said personal salvation. Yeah. A personal relationship. What did you mean by that? Because, I mean, I, I know what you mean, but I, I want you to explain. Well, when we define 
uh, our salvation experience, we usually say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I understand what that means, except for the fact that Jesus never uses that term. Right. Okay? He never uses personal relationship. He uses kingdom. Yeah. We come into the kingdom of God. Yep. Personal relationship may allow us to continue to sit on the throne. Hmm. We add Jesus to our life. We have a relationship with him that sometimes is ill-defined. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, I love him. Well, what does that mean? I will tell you this. If you're in a relationship, a real relationship, a love relationship, you ought to be able to define what your love looks like. Yeah. What it feels like. Yeah. And how it acts. Right. Okay. The things that so, I do and don't do because of that love. Yeah. So when we talk about a personal relationship with God, that is fine. But we've got to understand that we were not born again just to have Christ in our heart, but we were born again to be a part of his kingdom, yeah. to be a citizen in his kingdom, to be a part of each other. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. That there's no living for Christ alone. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't, uh, we don't partake of communion alone. Right. We celebrate it together. It's the breaking of bread. It's the sharing yeah. of the body of Christ, right? Yeah. We don't baptize alone. Right. Okay? Sure. We, we baptize in front of witnesses. Yeah. That's why. I mean, we're called upon to experience that before and with others. Mm-hmm. Okay? We don't wash our own feet <laughs> in a ceremony. Yeah, yeah. We do at home, but not. But in, but when we have foot washing, there's somebody else. Yeah. I will tell you that's for a reason. Yeah. We don't live this life alone. Yeah. In fact, we're not even ourselves uh, without other people. It's, so it seems like the insist that that insistence is important because. Our salvation is intricately connected to the prosperity of others as well. Amen. Well, and the Bible says, the, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yeah. And, and there's wheat and there's tares. Uh, we, we live in community. We live with each other. We are defined not only by ourselves, mm -hmm. but by other people. Yeah. So that the kingdom of God, it's important that we keep that vibrant personal faith, sure. but that we begin to uh, speak of it in terms of the kingdom, of yeah. being born into this family, into a relationship with others that's always connected. And this keeps us from witnessing things that go on in the world and allowing it to keep on going and not really move us to action. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chuck Colson wrote a story in one of his books, and it was about a little monk who came to Rome. His name, I believe, was Telemachus. Mm -hmm. I didn't plan to say this, but he came to Rome, and he, and he went to the Colosseum. He had never seen a game, and he was sitting there. Mm -hmm. And as he watched, these gladiators were killing each other. There were animals killing people, and it was just blood and terrifying 
incidents being portrayed before his eyes. Yeah. He saw so much he couldn't stand and he started screaming out and uh, people wouldn't listen. So he ran and jumped down into the Florida Coliseum. And as the swords went into his body, Telemachus, this little monk, began to say, forbear, for Christ's sake, forbear, stop it, yeah. stop it. And the story is that uh, at that moment, as his blood poured from his body, uh, the crowds quieted. And all of a sudden, they began to exit. Mm. And that was the last game, gladiatorial game, mm. held in that Roman Colosseum. Yeah. This man could not be silent in the face of this kind of going on where people were being massacred for entertainment value. Yeah. And I think that when we connect ourselves with others in our faith, mm -hmm. when we start making our faith about me and others, but others always, then we are beginning to be a part and see a, in a greater way what the vision of God is, mm -hmm. what the dream of God is for the kingdom of God. When you talk about others, who is that? Hmm. For me, others are uh, the kids who uh, have never had anybody to tell them about Jesus and uh, whose dad is an alcoholic and mom is just beaten up and hurt. Others are uh, kids with disabilities. Mm -hmm. It's the families of children with disabilities where 95% maybe suffer divorce. Right. Because they can't handle the emotional toll that's taken in raising a child with disabilities. Mm -hmm. It's about the disabled child. Most of them can't find a home in church. Yeah. Most of them don't come to church because they can't be controlled or they can't act like everybody else. And eventually there's difficulty and they leave. And being uh, an other means, you know, being Hispanic in an English-speaking world yeah. or being black in a white-dominated society. Mm -hmm. uh, being other is uh, being addicted. It's yeah. being lost. It's being hurt. So, uh, yeah, I think others are those who are outside of me yeah. and sometimes the greater circle outside of the church. You know, over the years, I prayed a lot about, about racial divide in our country, how to heal that. Uh, and of course, I think we need to start with the heart. I'm, I'm still, I'm, no matter what my uh, vision of the kingdom of God and how wide and how great it is, I still believe it starts small yeah. and it starts in your heart, you yeah. know? 
And it starts with that seed of the kingdom being sown there and a, and a radical transformation. So I still believe in holiness, that God calls us to live holy lives before him and with him. But then I believe that after we have received that, then we need to begin to, to look out and we need to begin to uh, repent mm -hmm. of areas that we haven't been taught. You know, I've been doing some writing and uh, I, going back, I, I'm amazed constantly at the things I thought I knew when I was younger or that I was uh, wrongly mm -hmm. uh, believing as a young person. And uh, so we need to repent. Yeah. We need to preach on racial hatred and bigotry. Yeah. Uh, it's ugly and it's sinful. And we need to repent of it. But then after we've repented of it, we need to be quick to listen and to learn and to use our words because if we stop using our words, then we start fighting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and we as Christians are people of the word. Yeah. God's words are life and they are spirit and they are transformative. But the minute we stop talking and we start using uh, force, mm -hmm. coercion, calling names, all of these things, mm -hmm. we, we move into Satan's realm and our anger makes us sin. Mm. So we talk about it, but then we do some things. Now, I, again, I, uh, I don't want to change. I, I, I misspoke. I don't want to separate the social and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to. I believe that we need to look at, uh, first of all, the courts of America. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. The judicial, judicial, say it for me. Judicial. The judicial system <laughs> of America because it doesn't work for everybody. Hmm. What do you mean? Well. To people who might not understand what you're saying. You know, when I was pastoring here in Columbus years ago, I read an article in our newspaper that was talking about a group of Hispanics here who couldn't speak English, mm -hmm. who were being robbed, and were falling into all kind of difficulties. And we didn't have adequate resources to translate for mm. them. Right. So sometimes there's this huge breakdown. This is many years ago, and Columbus has come a long way, Georgia has, mm. in providing these services. But at that time, they didn't. So we started a, uh, English as second language school mm -hmm. at our church. Yeah. Okay. Was that social or spiritual? Yes. Well, <laughs> both. <laughs> all of all of the above. But right. to me, it's all spiritual. And so we taught our Hispanic brothers the English language so that they wouldn't be subjected to evil and they couldn't deal with things in the right way. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't meet their obligations if they can't speak English a lot of times. So... Uh, I think that the judicial system for them wasn't working. It, it doesn't work for poor people mm -hmm. who can't afford 
a really good lawyer and who sometimes have someone appointed to them that has an overload of cases, who spends no time on them as a client. Right. And sometimes it's terribly lacking in the communication skills. Mm-hmm. So I think our system's broken. And so what is done is unequal in weight or measure. You know, one of the symbols for uh, our courts and our American system of justice is what? Is the scales. Is the scales. Yeah. Either that or you're playing have And you have this lady with what on her face? A blinder. A blindfold. Uh, Yeah. Okay? Because we say that in order for it to be American, and I agree with this, it needs to be blind, not seeing race, not seeing age, not seeing education, and it needs to be equal. Mm-hmm. It's not that anymore, I don't think. Yeah. So uh, I believe that I would start, I believe, for the church, a good place for it to start. I, I'd love to see it in the Assemblies of God where we say, you know what, we're not sure that the balance is are carrying equal weights. Mm-hmm. We think maybe the weights are in favor of those who have the resources, right. who have the education, who have the connection, if you will. Yeah. And we ought to begin to say, you know, I don't see this as a social problem. I see it as God's preferred vision, yeah. his will, his dream. Yeah for fairness in the courts and business. And how can I say that? Well, from the scriptures, Leviticus 19.36, use honest scales Mm. and honest weights, an honest ephah and an honest hen. Those were measurements. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 25.15, do not have two differing weights Mm-hmm. in your bag, one heavy and one light. So they would do okay. that to trick people. Oh, yeah. So if you bought bread and bread was so much an ounce, they would have a weight that looked like that looked like an ounce, but it wasn't an ounce, okay? Right. It might be the same size as an ounce weight, mm-hmm. but when they put it on there, they were charging them more. Measured heavier than yeah. it should have been. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Proverbs 11.1, 1, you must have an accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. He ties this to... Inheritance. Uh, yes. He says, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. Then we... Hold on. <laughs> I want to like apply that. Are you coming to application on this? Because I... You go ahead. I well, mean, I just think I, it's I really know. important. Like, if, if, we're, if what we're actually saying is the entire body of the Scripture is a way for God to refer back to the people of Israel and to teach us in modern day what it means to follow Him and the failures of Israel, right? And so he's actually borrowing from the Israelites' inheritance and saying, hey, you're not necessarily entering into the kingdom or into the promised land. Like, you can't enter in if you are a person who's not looking at the dishonesty in measurements and able to actually reconcile the fact that that's unjust, that's unjust. And, you know, I was reading the books of the prophets this past week. Um, No, forgive me, it's even earlier than that. And uh, and it talks about how Yahweh, there is no injustice in him, no oppression in Yahweh. 
Um, continue. He, I said, just it was he says he detests differing weights and dishonest scales. They do not please him. He says, shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales with a bag of false weights? Uh, in James 2.3 it says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but yeah. you say to the poor man, you stand here or you sit on the floor by me. He says, you are failing to see the God dreams of this world, yeah. of this earth. He says, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Mm. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Now, James is a controversial book, and I think Martin Luther tried to keep it out of the, out of the volume of the scripture. Mm. Uh, he didn't believe it had a place in the canon because it was so challenging, right. okay? But he is saying the same thing that Deuteronomy is saying, the same thing that Proverbs is saying and Micah is saying. He is saying that we need to treat people with equity. Mm -hmm. And where they're not, we need to consider our ways. And if it really matches up with God's dreams mm. for this world. I would say to you that we need to look at a judicial system. And because the government has the right to, with authority, deal with wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. Paul makes that very clear in the book of Romans. The government's been ordained by God in certain respects to make sure evildoers are hindered from doing their work. Yeah. So since that is true, we're not saying that the government doesn't have the right to deal with wrongdoers. Sure. But we are saying that we the people are part of the government. We vote. We believe that we are part of a system mm -hmm. that honors uh, every American as being a vital part of this nation. I believe that the church certainly has the ability to say, you know what, we're not able to get it right right now. Hmm. Whatever the reform needs to be, yeah. right now, we're not there. So let's put a moratorium. Let's call an end to capital punishment. Mm -hmm. Let's say to the person that uh, has uh, fallen victim to these things, look, we understand that you have been hurt, certainly. Those grievances are real. But we are just not able at this time in our country mm -hmm. to do this right. Yeah. And we would like to put a big pause on this thing until we can do a better job. Right. I believe that that starts, if it starts there, then it can influence other areas of the judicial system mm -hmm. that affects those who are not getting the same weights put on the scale yeah. as other people. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about, I have a couple quotes that have kind of like crept up in my heart in this. And, um, and that vision <clears throat> that we see in Revelation of every um, people group, every ethnicity, every tongue before the throne room of God calling out. And I think because of sometimes like however you read Revelation, a lot of people think that's strictly future tense. But John seeing that in the present as a revelation of God's kingdom in the present for where they're at. 
I think it says something to us that God's dream and his vision is a, to your verbiage, far more expansive and inclusive dream uh, in terms of people groups and those others than oftentimes we live into. And the goal is not to wait till heaven then. It's actually to bring that picture in now. I absolutely believe that. And uh, I understand I understand that we're human and and I understand that we're fearful. Yeah. And I understand that we we make mistakes and we read into God's word uh, things that we have heard and uh, things that have been passed on to us. But uh, we have to pull the anchors in and set sail on these rough seas. Mm-hmm. You know, God establishes his kingdom over the seas, it says. He builds it upon the seas. That's an amazing picture because the seas are not where you want to build a kingdom over the top of it, okay? But they're built upon. And uh, the church is too. And and we've got to sell those seas. And sometimes it's risky and it's scary. Yeah. But we have to do it. I remember uh, back in, I think it was 90... Six, ninety-five, ninety-six, somewhere in there. We were flying the rebel flag in the state of South Carolina at the state house. We had a governor by the name of David Beasley. Mm-hmm. He was a Republican governor, had been a Democrat from the Low Country in South Carolina. He was a bright star in the in the Republican Party. There was talk of him being a vice president candidate. Um, he was growing in popularity, uh, but he was also a man of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I invited him to preach at our church one Sunday, and he did. I, I really loved him. He was a great guy. During his term of office, though, the issue came up about the flag. Yeah. There were two issues, gambling machines and, uh, and service stations, gas stations, convenience stores that paid off money, I think, at that time. Mm -hmm. And and then the Confederate flag. And Beasley took, I thought, a very courageous stand. In fact, more than, I'm not the only one that thinks thinks that. He he actually won um, some type of Medal of Freedom or something later from John Kennedy's family for his courageous act. But he said, we're going to take the flag down. Wow. Now, he didn't live to see it be done, live in the sense of political hmm. longevity. He was voted out of office. A group of people in the state didn't like him saying that and said, we're going to take you out. And they did. He lost the election. And it hasn't been until recently, I think right now, he is... Uh, uh, in Washington, working uh, with the World Food Organization, I believe it is. Yeah. But uh, he paid a huge price. And I remember when the conversation was going on, uh, people were asking me, what do you, what do you believe? Mm-hmm. And I stood up and said, we need to take the flag down. Yeah. And I believe we did. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until the incident in Charleston at the church there yeah. that they finally removed it totally. 
it had been moved to a lesser position yeah. in the years since. And you're referring to the mass shooting in the church. The yes, young, young white in man. Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, but they finally removed it totally from the grounds of our state offices there in South Carolina. It was a courageous act. He, he certainly sailed on rough waters. Yeah. And, he, and he didn't make it. Yeah. But he had those principles that, uh, that lived on. Mm. And it finally was removed. Yeah. And the gambling machines, I think, were too. Hmm. Uh, so I believe that we need to be courageous and uh, we need to face our failures. Yeah. We need to face uh, things that uh, we haven't faced before. And in the church, we need not be threatened by things that God has already spoken to right. and revealed himself in. Right. And so when we talk about racial reconciliation, when we talk about capital punishment even, yeah. God wants equal measures. And if we can't do that, let's stop the game until we can. We should be able to do that in America. That's who we are. Yeah. That's what we were born to. Yeah. You know? So uh, these, these two parables say a whole lot. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that... Uh, uh, we probably could have made this into two or three sessions, son, but uh, yeah. that's the way well, I am, and you're yeah. just that Both way too. Gifted so. toward long-windedness. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wanted to let it run. Um, it, it's easy for us. I realize you guys are watching stuff at home, but we want to have substantial conversation. Uh, and right now, people need rich conversation. We don't need to shy away from tough topics. And I think the, the fact of the matter is, I don't hear enough voices talking about this in this in this way. Not not from the white community. And I want to encourage if it's white pastors who are watching that we would encourage better conversation around what God has to say about equity and justice. Um, two quotes that kind of came to my mind and um, and that picture that you gave of the, the kingdom of God being built over the waters. You know, in the scripture, the waters are the sign of chaos, <laughs> right? In Genesis one, it's a sign of chaos. And there, like God is triumphing over the chaos through the kingdom. Um, and if we need anything more now than ever, it's, it's a people who can stand united in justice and in peace and righteousness in the midst of chaos and let that rise. But I want to close just with two quick quotes. Um, David Livingston, he said, sympathy is no substitute for action. We can't just be people who say poor dears and just close our eyes, go home to dinner and, uh, and wake up tomorrow. But we have to be people who act. Uh, and we're calling people to righteous action, uh, to justice. And so um, I want to remind you, even as we said at the beginning, uh, we are highly encouraging those of you in our church community, in the faith community, to partake in a March for Justice on June 13th, that's Saturday. There's information on Facebook for that. Um, I can tell you the heartbeat of the person who is leading this is going to be, it's beautiful. Um, and so... I don't want to give too, too much away about it, but it's just going to be a really sweet time. And, um, and I want to invite you in the white community. Um, I believe that it is going to be dramatically healing in this conversation to see white brothers and sisters standing alongside of black brothers and sisters and who are marching for justice. And they see that we're all crying out for equity and we're repenting of the places where we've been blind in the past. Um, last quote. Uh, Cornell West. 
a pretty divisive, not divisive, but maybe con uh, he, he enters into the conflict, you know. Uh, he's kind of a philosopher, and for me, he's kind of a poet. But he says, justice is what love looks like in the streets. And so I hope you'll take this to heart, that you'll wrestle with the parables. Dad, thanks for taking time to talk today and to share from your journey and your process. And guys, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, this, you know, we may be breaking some, uh, some barriers today in terms of time, but we love you. We want you to enter into the deep, diverse conversation of what's going on right now and the expansiveness of God's kingdom and what he's up to. We love you. Have an incredible week. We'll see you later.